0: Dear church family, in 1873, Horatio Spafford said goodbye to his three daughters and his wife, who were traveling by boat back to England. Some days later, he got a telegram. From his wife, I alone am alive. Our daughters drowned at sea. a modern job. And God visited Mr. Spafford that day. he wrote a poem it is well with my soul you've sung it many times god knows how to lead his people through deep ways to bring them to bow in total submission To his will. A sweet, painful, bittersweet day for Horatio Spafford and for the people of God. This morning I want to talk to you, preach to you, about how God can make it well with our soul in the deepest of trials. The story's before you. You know it well. We'll follow through on the story, but the highlight of the story, the apex, is just these three words. It is well. It is well. And so, my three thoughts I want to look at with you is the expectant faith of this woman for the future. Second, her submissive faith concerning the past. And third, her faith applied to the present. Her expectant faith for the future submissive faith concerning the past, her faith applied to the present. So we go in our thoughts this morning to a little city which lies about five miles north of Jezreel called Shunem. Today, it's still a poor, small village surrounded by old orchards and cactus hedges it's been renamed Solom I've had the privilege of, of going there there's archaeological remains on the edge of Solom which is the original biblical Shunem and when you stand there across the plains of Esdraelon you can see in the distance a mountain rise before you which is Mount Carmel 15 miles away. And to that mountain, Elisha often went. He had a little seminary there. They called it School of the Prophets. And he would travel some 30 miles from his hometown. And when he got halfway, he would stop to rest in Shunem. And there he met a great woman. Mature woman, it means. Mature spiritually, but also, no doubt, a well-to-do woman. And her husband, who gave him a home to stay in, a little room they built onto the home, so that he could rest. And as he was going to lecture in the seminary, He'd stop there and then go on. Then on the way back home, he'd stop again for a break and then go back to his home. And so, Elisha was very grateful to this woman. And in those days, it wasn't customary for a prophet to speak directly to a woman. So he kind of spoke through Gehazi. And he said, call the Shunammite and bring her in front of me. And he said to Gehazi, now ask her what she would like. I want to return her favor. Uh, Elisha had access to the king, to the military leader of the day. Elisha was a well-wired individual. <laughs> very, very much so. And I, I, can, I want to hear what you, what you would like. And this woman simply answers, these amazing words. Think about this, young people. I dwell among my own people. What? You're just content to be among your own people? There's, there's nothing you want? No, n- no, nothing I want. But, but I said, I, could, I, I can do anything you want for you. No, never mind, she says. I'm content. I've learned in whatsoever state I am, she's an Old Testament Paul, therewith to be content. And Elisha doesn't quite know what to do now because he wants to do something for her. So he says to Gehazi, well, what could we do for her? Oh, Gehazi says, you know she's childless. Childless. Those days, that was a mark of the disfavor of God because every Israelite woman wanted to have children with a hope that she might bear the godly seed that might eventually bear the Messiah, or that she would bear the Messiah herself. So to be childless was considered to be a mark of God's disfavor, different than today, of course. But that was a burden for any woman, a double burden, to have no children. And yet she never mentioned that to Elisha. Was it because she thought her husband was too old? Well, maybe a little bit, but she had also no doubt been reconciled with the will of God in her life. I dwell among my own people. These are words of submission. She's content with the cross the Lord had given her to bear. What a gift that is. But Elisha, obviously upon divine revelation to his soul promises her that she'll have a son about the same time of year next year well, that's overwhelming of course but it happens it happens despite this woman's astonishment and you can imagine that this boy when he grew up <clears throat> was her was her joy <clears throat> And that this boy, she often looked at this boy and thought, this is the son of promise. This is a token of God's favor to me. Will this boy be the Messiah? Or will this boy be the father of the Messiah, the grandfather of the Messiah? This was no ordinary boy. This was a son of promise. This is a son of joy. This is a son of her and her husband's old age. This was like an Isaac to Abraham. And so as the boy gets older, he goes out and works with his, in the fields with his dad. And one day, he gets, he gets a sunstroke. It must have been a very warm day. And he says, oh, dad, my head hurts. My head Dad's very busy and doesn't realize the seriousness of it. So he says to another young man, uh, "Go, go, go! Take my son to his mother." And then the Bible, which often seems to us to understate things rather than exaggerate things, says very simply, just ten words—devastating ten words. He sat on her knees till noon and then died. Died? (laughs) Do you really mean it? Died? The son of promise? The son given in favor? Just like that, he died? It's overwhelming. Death is always the voice of God. But now what? Now, now to accept death of this boy that was so precious to her? Now to realize and bow before and under the, the incredible, overwhelming sovereignty of God? There's too much to take in, don't you think? This boy, this son of promise... This child of prayer. This child given in love. Dead. Dead. Oh, dead. How can it be? How can it be? Oh, the trials. The riddles. The mysteries of God's way with His people are sometimes so multiplied in their lives that their outward and inward afflictions combined seem to overwhelm them. Oh God, why must this be so? Do you know that question in your own life at times? How can all these things work together for good? I can't understand thy ways, O oh God. But grant me to bow under them. Now what? Well, in ancient Israel, if someone died, you had to bury them right away. Usually the same day because their bodies would stink in that hot climate very quickly. It could become infectious. So when someone dies, what they do is they send out word right away and it seems strange, probably about as strange as us putting flowers on coffins, which they wouldn't understand. But The strange custom was you'd immediately send out a messenger to different women. And there was a group of women that were hired, actually hired by the deceased one's family, to come to the funeral and to weep and mourn and lament, as Jews are famous for being able to do. And they would gather the tears in the bottle and then hand it to the deceased relatives. And that bottle would be put somewhere prominently in their house. And they could say to visitors, look how much our loved one has been mourned. But that woman doesn't do this. She does something very different. Verse 21. She went up and laid the boy on the bed of the man of God and shut the door on him, and went out. Now all three of these things are an act of faith. She laid him on the bed of the man of God. Didn't she know that anything in the Old Testament time, anything that came in contact with a dead body was considered unclean? Was she going to make the man of God's room that she had herself built with her husband? An unclean place? Was she so bitter against the prophet that she would do that? No, no, no. She put the, bed, the boy on the bed of the man of God by faith, believing that the God of Elisha could raise that boy from the dead. Again, just like Abraham with Isaac. I and the lad will come back to you. Secondly... She shut the door upon him. Now that's an act of faith. What if someone would open the door? What if her husband would come home and open the door and find the boy dead? And she gone. But she'd be, well, today she'd be accused of child abuse and child abandonment and who knows what. And the word would spread. Shunammite abandoned her dead son. But she went, she shut the door by faith. And she went out. She went out by faith to find Elisha. But then she realized oh, Elisha. Oh, no. Elisha is already at Mount Carmel, 15 miles away, five hour ride by donkey. But faith knows no obstacles. Faith is inventive. Faith perseveres. She sends a messenger out to her husband. Send me a donkey. He says, why? Why why do you want to go to Elisha today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she says, shalom. Shalom in Hebrew. It shall be well. It was future tense, shalom. It shall be well. This is her faith. Her faith for the future. She has a God-given, a God-centered expectation. Everything seems impossible. Her son is dead. There seems to be no future. And she says, Shalom, peace. And so the young man comes with the donkey. She says to him, go as fast as you can. Five-hour ride. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went. So she went. Five hours. Five hours. Thoughts. Prayers. Cries to God. Elisha sees her coming. He can tell even from a distance something's wrong. He says, Gehazi, go to her. Ask her, is it, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with a child? And she says, shalom amazing shalom it is well but now with the past tense in the sense that God has made everything well how is it possible how is it possible to say shalom peace when your only son is dead at home This is genuine, genuine, spirit-worked submission concerning the past. Now, of course, when people come to you and to me, maybe even this morning it happened, you saw someone in the vestibule, said, how are you doing? You said, "Uh, well, I'm doing well. And maybe you're not doing well. But you you don't tell people. You don't spill out your guts, so to speak, and tell them all the problems you have. There are people that do that, of course, and after a while, you don't ask them how to do them because they get this long list and, you know, you, you, you just kind of understand. Unless there's something very, very seriously wrong, you, you just simply say, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm do- doing well. So we use these words, it is well, shallowly. Customarily, flippantly. But this woman doesn't use them that way. She said, Shalom. There is peace. How is it possible? Think think about right now, just take a moment to think about your greatest. Struggles in life right now. Your greatest burdens, your greatest trials. Think maybe of two or three of them. Have you ever said to God about those trials from the depths of your heart? Shalom. I have peace. What is what is this submission? This spiritual submission. Well, it's certainly very much misunderstood by most people, even by many of God's people. So I'm going to look with you now at what submission is, and then at what submission is not. So four things first for what it is. Number one, submission acknowledges the lord that is to mean whenever something happens in our life that's contrary to us if your heart is in a state of true submission you immediately say it's the lord the lord is sovereign over all things as calvin said he's the primary cause of all things we should look less at secondary causes calvin says and look more to the primary cause There was someone, uh, I read an article after this happened, you know, in, in 2001 with the crash into the world tower buildings in New York and so on, and the great tragedy in America. <coughs> A famous TV commentator got five ministers together around him, I think it was the next night or so, and he said to each one, Where where was God in this? Where where was God? The first four said, oh, God has nothing to do with this. And the last one was John MacArthur. And John MacArthur said, well, if God has nothing to do with this, then we have have an impotent God. God is sovereign. God has very much to do with this. We must, first of all, MacArthur said, acknowledge the Lord. You see, that's critical in true submission. To the Lord belong the issues of life and death. Psalm 68 says, 1 Samuel 2, the Lord killeth and the Lord maketh alive. Psalm 39, I was dumb with silence. I opened out my mouth because thou didst it. It's the Lord. 2 Samuel 16, let Shimei curse me, David says, for the Lord has bidden him to curse David. You see, if the Lord is not in it, then you've got no place to go. So the very first thing you do in true submission is you acknowledge the Lord. The second thing is you justify the Lord. You justify the Lord. It is right. It is right. What thou hast done. You see, when Aaron heard that fire came down from heaven and consumed his two sons, he held his peace, the Bible says. He was saying, God is is righteous. When Eli was approached about the death of his sons. He said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. It is the Lord. When David's throne was taken over by Absalom, David said, Behold, here am I. Let the Lord do to me as seemeth good unto him. And Job lost all ten of his sons and his farm was decimated and his animals were killed. He said, The Lord has given The Lord has taken away. The Lord is just. See, true submission is like this four-step process. The first is you acknowledge the Lord, then you go deeper, and you justify the Lord. And when you justify the Lord, when tragedy strikes you or a difficult problem surfaces in your life, you don't say, Why me? But you say, why not me? I'm a sinner. I deserve nothing better. Boys and girls, once in Grand Rapids, I got on an elevator with a woman on the first floor, and she was going up to floor seven in Butterworth Hospital, I was going up to floor seven. I thought, well, now I've got about, no one else is on the elevator. I thought I got, I got about a minute maybe to, maybe I can start to evangelize her in some way. So I said, uh, nice weather out today. She said, yes, very nice. I said, we don't really deserve this, do we? And she goes, no, we don't, she says. And she paused and she looks at me and she said, My mother always taught me that anything above ground is the mercy of God. I go, wow, she's evangelizing me. Do you realize what she's saying? She's saying death and hell is what we deserve. We deserve to be gone, to die, to be buried. Anything above ground is the mercy of the Lord. The Lord is right in all his ways. That's what she was saying. That's what this woman is saying here. Shalom. Shalom. It's amazing. Why not me? I deserve nothing but death and hell. You ever been there? Then thirdly... True submission goes yet another step, deeper, deeper. It doesn't only acknowledge God and justify God, but it approves, approves of the Lord, even in very difficult trials. Lord, it is well. It's not only not wrong what thou hast done, because I'm a sinner, but it is well what thou hast done. It is right. It is best. It is good. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away, said Job. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's deep. That's very, very deep. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We had an elder in our church who had knee surgery one day, and seemed successful. But when he got home, infection set in in his knee. He had to go back for a second surgery. Seemed to be successful. Went home. Infection set in in his knee again. Went back to the doctor, and doctor said, "Well, we'll give it one more try, but probably." If it doesn't work, we're going to have to take off your leg above your knee. So we're all praying earnestly for him. He goes in for the third surgery. <sighs> Successful. Wonderful. We praise the Lord. And uh, no infection. And two months later, I, I get a call from him. This is, this is George, Pastor. Pastor. Just want to let you know that the infection is back. So oh oh, George, I'm so, so sorry. Oh, Pastor, don't don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. My father must have yet more to teach me. I'll be fine. Wow. I felt so unspiritual in that moment. So unspiritual. Could I have said that? I doubt it. My Father has more to teach me. It is well with my soul. I approve of the Lord. And then, there's a fourth step. It's wonderful to approve of the Lord, whatever he does. It's yet another step to cleave to the Lord. As my greatest friend. When he seems to come against me as my greatest enemy. To cling to the Lord. When he seems to be wrestling against me like Jacob. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Shalom it is well. This woman you see. She's clinging to God. She's kissing the rod that smites her she's cleaving to God through all Now how do you how do you get this deep 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 submission This woman has something special about her Yes, but it's not from her It's the grace of the Holy Spirit in her and it's possible Only because Jesus merited the right for that submission. Because Jesus is the one who really went through this deep way perfectly without any sin. He acknowledged His Father in heaven. He justified His Father in heaven when His Father bruised His own son. And he approved of giving himself completely away to his father's will, and he clung to his father in the moment of greatest dereliction. "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" But he embraced it." And he said, "It is finished. It's only because of Jesus, you see, that we can ever have any true submission at all. Step by step. Now, what is submission not? If this is what submission is, acknowledging God, justifying God, approving of God, clinging to God, what is it not? Well, the story actually paints that picture for us. Let me just say three quick things here. First, submission is not a taking away of the sense or the feeling of the affliction. She said, it is well, peace, shalom. And yet she hurried past Gehazi, fell at the feet of Elisha. Her soul is vexed. And she says, "Did did I say, do not deceive me? How is that possible? When you have submission and you have peace, how can you be vexed? Well, you see, some people think that to be submissive is to have no feeling, then, to be like a stoic. I had a lady once come to me, and she really had a pretty bad marriage, and her husband died. And she came to me about two years later and said this to me Pastor, I just have to thank the Lord for giving me so much submission. I have never missed my husband. (laughs) That's not submission. That's a reflection of a bad relationship. Submission is surrender while you feel the pain. Her soul is vexed, but she surrenders. It is well. In fact, for those of you who are unsaved, this is the problem. Often unsaved people are unvexed, unconcerned about their never dying soul many times. And as a preacher, you just wish you could vex their soul, that they would cry out for mercy. Is that you this morning? Are you unconverted and unvexed? Traveling to eternity without much fear, but unprepared to meet God. Well, you deserve, you need to be vexed. But secondly, submission is not avoiding seeking for the reason why of God's providences. I can tell you many, many times, people in our circles have said this to me. I know you're not supposed to ask the reason why. That is dead wrong. That's cruel theology. Yes, you're not to ask the reason why with a fist of anger against God. But you are to ask the reason why. When God comes with great trials and afflictions, you, because you have a relationship with God, you want to know what's wrong, if there is something wrong in your relationship. David is asking why when he says, Search for me, O God, and know my heart, and show me my sin, and lead me in the way everlasting. Or take an even better example. Jesus, the sinless Savior, asked why. And anything He does can't be wrong. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? So to ask why with open palms and saying, search me, O God, honors God. And then finally, true submission is not sitting back with indifference and folded arms and saying, well, if the Lord's going to convert me, He's going to convert me, so I'll just go on my way. No, 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 no. This woman, even when Gehazi, Elisha sends Gehazi ahead to, to put, his, put his staff on the child. This woman says, as thy soul liveth. Elisha, I... I I will not leave thee. You see, Elisha, the woman sees in Elisha, in a sense, the God of Elisha. And she knows that only the God of Elisha, the God of the prophet, can deliver her son from death. And so she she clings, you see. And she says, As thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So True submission is not indifference, inactive, just saying, well, let's see what God will do. No, it it clings to God. And then you know the rest of the story, of course. Elisha comes and stretches himself on the child and prays, and the child sneezes and opens his eyes, and Elisha calls the Shunammite. And you read these amazing words. She fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground, took up her son, and went out. Exact same words before. When she shut the door upon her son, she went out. Now she takes her son back and she went out. Shalom. Shalom. God has made all things well. It shall be well, she said. It is well. And now she can say, thou hast made all things well. Peace. That passes all understanding. Well, in closing this morning, my third thought is, let me apply that faith, the faith of this woman, to the present, to you, husbands, wives, children, young people. Is it well with you? Is it well in your family? Is it well, wives, with your husband? Is it well, husbands, with your wife? Is it well with your children? Is it well with your parents? Is it well with your soul? Wives, is it well with your husband? Can you, can you, can you see in your husband's walk and talk? That his desires lie towards the honor and the glory of the Lord. Can you see in him an attitude of submission to the sovereignty of God? Husbands, is it well with your wife? Is it evident to you that she fears the Lord in spirit and truth? Have you seen her bow under the ways of God that seem to be against her? Is it well with your children, parents? Do you know what it means to plead on their behalf at the throne of grace? Do you know what it means in in a sense to spiritually lay your child on your own bed in front of you and cry out to God, this child is spiritually dead. Oh Lord, resurrect him, resurrect her from the dead. Young people, boys and girls, is it well with your parents? Can you see from them their whole attitude, their, their spirit, their, their prayers, their conversation with you? That they love your soul even more than they love your physical needs. And can you see in their walk of life an example of what it means to fear the Lord? Oh, blessed are you children you have God-fearing parents? But most of all, the question you must answer is the last question of verse 26. Is it well with thee? The, you know, is a singular form. Today we lost the these and the thous and we just have confusion in our language, of course, because we say you singular, you plural. If I say, are you born again? You don't know if I'm talking just to you or to everyone. But you see, the thee is singular. I asked her, is it well with thee? And I'm asking you this morning, is it well with your soul, every one of you? If God were to take you today, would it be shalom forever for you? Would it be eternal peace with you before God forever? Have you been born again? Have you learned to say farewell to the world? Have you been emptied of your own righteousness? Have you found all your righteousness in Jesus Christ? What think ye of Christ? Is he your greatest treasure, your Savior, your Lord? Can you say, for me to live is Christ, and to die would be gain because I'm in Christ and I long to be with Him forever? Then it is well with your soul. But if sin is never Brought you needy before the Lord. If you've never been stripped of your righteousness, if Christ has never become precious to you, it's not well with your soul. You're in big trouble. You're in very big trouble. You're lost. You're on your way to everlasting destruction. There's only one name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. Do you know him? Can you tell me what he looks like spiritually? Has he been made precious to you? Is he your all in in all? If you can't say yes to that, can't say that you have even a little bit of relationship with him. You can't say that. It's not well with your soul. And what are you going to do about it? A few weeks ago I was thinking about, in fact I said it to Elder Vergunz, I was thinking about my dad telling me a story about Elder Vergunz's father when he came to Kalamazoo. My dad went with him to on a hospital visit. And uh, my dad told me he never heard anything like this before. He asked the man in the hospital bed, How is it with your soul? And the man says, Yeah, the Lord has to do it. He said, Well, do you have any hope that the Lord has done it? He said, No, no, I'm unconverted unconverted and my dad said Reverend McGahn said to him do you understand what that word means when you're unconverted if you're unconverted you have no right to a heavenly inheritance if you're unconverted you will appear before God's judgment bar without a surety for your debts without an intercessor to stand between you and God without an advocate to plead your case If you're unconverted, you won't have on the robe of Christ's righteousness. You'll be carried out. You'll be thrown into everlasting darkness. You'll be exposed to the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb. If you're unconverted, you're without God. You're without Christ. You're without hope forever. That's not a typical hospital visit. But that's the truth. You need to be born again. You need to bow before God in submission. You need to lose all your own righteousness and come just as you are, a hell worthy sinner who deserves nothing above ground, and say, Oh God, have mercy upon me. And you can't rest. You can't rest until you can say, in Jesus Christ, Shalom! He's my peace. It is well with my soul. Oh, is it well with you? Is it well with you? How will you appear on the judgment day? J.C. Ryle said, The most dreadful cases on the judgment day will be those who don't know Christ even though they've sat in church all their life and always walked out of church past an open Bible and never fled to Jesus Christ, never repented of their sins, never became a lost sinner before a holy God, Never received the only name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. What a tragedy! Ecclesiastes 8 puts it this way. Verse 10, And so I saw the wicked buried who had gone to and fro to the holy place. That means they went today's language they went to church their whole life and they were forgotten says the wise man where they had so done forgotten when i first came to grand rapids 36 years ago i visited all 400 families in the first year a year and a half in their homes i asked them all the same questions tell me about your dad tell me about your mom I want to know about your family. By the time I got done, it dawned on me that those families that had God-fearing ancestors, they would talk a long time, long time, about their father and their mother and the examples they were and the influence they had, and it was sweet conversation. But if their parents didn't know the Lord, it was just like one or two sentences, and you're done. There's nothing to say. They're lost. How dreadful. Young people, is that the way you're going to live? Is that the way you're going to go to eternity? Or parents. How sad it is when parents can't say to their children, sit down, I'm going to tell you what the Lord has done for my soul. And you come to die, and the children don't know where you're going. It's a burden. That's just one thing to have honest struggles and doubts and wrestlings about your salvation. It's another thing to to go to church all your life and just go on and on and on and, and not wrestle even for your own soul. You need Christ. You need Christ. And you're just one heartbeat away from eternity. One heartbeat. You can die today. So can I. Is it well with your soul? And don't don't you want to have this kind of submission that this woman had, that Horatio Spafford had? Wouldn't you love to be able to say this with all your heart? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed His own blood for my soul, my sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, It is well with my soul. That's what we want. Don't rest until you can say, it is well. Shalom with God forever. Amen. Gracious God, what a beautiful thing submission, true submission is. And we pray for more of it for those of us who know something of it. And for those who know nothing of it, please, please regenerate them. Please lead them to bow under thee and thy ways. And please lead them to cry out, in Christ it is well with my soul, in Jesus' name, amen.